Monarch, Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch, Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. Vaginas are absolute magic. And Ollie is here to give them the respect they deserve. That means shame-free supplements made with clinically studied ingredients to keep your pH in check and your pleasure a priority. Put yourself on top. Go to Ollie.com today. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, you are listening to Oh Crap Parenting with me, your host, Jamie Gulacki. This is a podcast for conscious parents who drop the F-bomb a lot. Hello, hello, beautiful people. Today, I am going to spend this episode answering questions about homeschooling. So I've posted a few things on Instagram. I've gotten a lot of questions, and I know that many, many people are considering it as the state of school's Mm, sort of declines, it seems like every year. So I wanted to answer some questions about homeschooling since many people ask me. (laughs) And I want to state at the very beginning, because I always have to state this when talking about homeschooling, I do realize homeschooling is not for everyone, but we're going to go through a lot of scenarios that people think make homeschooling impossible for them. And maybe it's not. So if you've never considered homeschooling, have no interest in homeschooling, you don't have to listen to this episode. (laughs) I know that when we went into lockdown for the pandemic, a lot of people, you know, everybody was forced into homeschooling. And I think a couple of things happened for a lot of families. They continued to homeschool because they were like, wait a minute, this is cool. This is easier than I thought, or this is better than I thought. And I think there were a lot of people who were like, fuck this because it was hard. And I want you to know that if that happened to you, the pandemic lockdowns were the absolute worst case scenario. It was a nightmare for homeschoolers. The secret about homeschooling is you're very rarely at home. You're out and about doing life, doing activities, meeting with groups, going to museums, going to meet interesting people like funeral directors, butchers, bankers, and I can share those stories. <laughs> so the thing is, is that parents were thrown into homeschool that didn't want to homeschool. And so it was a bit of a nightmare. I thought the Zoom schooling was the absolute worst thing ever. I was astounded. I, you know, we, if we look at March of 2020, then we had April, May, June, July, you know, they let schools out. I mean, they stopped children from going to school. And then we had that summer. And then there was talk about the schools, you know, opening or a lot of people went to Zoom school for September. And I remember that summer thinking, Oh, holy shit, this is it. Education's going to be reformulated. This is going to be amazing. And they went to Zoom meetings, which couldn't have been worse for almost everyone. So many kids lost interest. Teachers lost interest. It was a nightmare. So anyway, that is not an example of homeschooling. I also wanted to do this episode now because a lot of people who are considering homeschooling will sometimes say, well, we're going to practice over the summer. We're going to attempt homeschooling over the summer and see how it goes. And I want to tell you, please don't do that. 
homeschooling is really a lifestyle and your children, if they've been in school and now they have the summer and you're going to jump into a curriculum to see if it works, to see if they'll follow your directions and you won't fight with them and can you get along with them all day? That's not fair. They deserve a break. They've been in school and now you're going to make them work for summer. So I don't think that's really fair. So I also think that three months is not enough time to get acclimated to homeschooling and it will ruin your summer. So don't do that. <laughs> One of the biggest questions I get, and I have addressed this in other podcasts, so I'll, I'll be quick about it if you're new here. Was Pascal always homeschooled? He was not. He went to kindergarten and he went to half of first grade and I took him out of first grade. I had always considered homeschooling. I had always considered traveling with him. I think in my head, I had kind of assumed I'd get him through fifth grade. Like the basics would be taken care of, right? (laughs) He'd learn fractions at which I suck. And then, you know, I figured middle school, middle school is treacherous. And so I figured that's when I would take him out. And it was not a concrete plan. It was just a, a little notion in my head. And then, you know, kindergarten rolled around and it was just kind of the thing you did. You enrolled your kid in kindergarten and we lived in the city and I enrolled him in the local elementary school, which happened to be one of the top three in Providence. And his kindergarten teacher was astounding. She was the teacher. You know, the teacher you're always going to remember. And this woman, I swear, she was sweaty by the end of the day. She could juggle plates. She was amazing. And I just kind of forgot about homeschooling. She was so good. I was able to help out in the classroom And people would tell me all the time, they'd be like, oh, you have Mrs. Pinksaw. Oh my God. You're going to wish you had her when your kid is in college. Right there, there was like a little warning sign because I was like, you kind of only get one or two teachers in your whole school career, right? That is that teacher that you remember. That teacher for me was in 11th grade, my 11th grade American history teacher. And I was like, oh shit, are we using our trump card in kindergarten? (laughs) That's crazy. So anyway, I didn't give any thought about it. And then the first grade hit and first grade was jarring. It was a different teacher. I offered help in the classroom. She kept refusing. She would barely look us in the eye when the kids were lining up in the morning. You know, in first grade, the kids are still little. The workload was aggressive. First grade, the kindergarten is the new like between first and second grade, it's aggressive and it's highly academic. And I always, I've said this on this podcast before, I went to a half day kindergarten and we took a nap. <laughs> like Everybody ended up okay. So there were a myriad of things gone wrong. I had been really thinking about homeschooling because Pascal kept having, he'd bite his lip. He'd bite his lip till it was bleeding. And it took me a while to figure out the pattern. I would like put all this stuff on it over the weekend to heal it, all these herbal concoctions. And it would be healed by Monday. And then by the end of the week, it would be bloody again. And I started to realize like, wow, is he stressed? Like what's going on? And he was always in the top groups, whatever, you know, the top reading group or whatever. But Pascal is a perfectionistic learner. So he's going to do it, but he'll do it at the cost of like his mental health. You know, he'll be on top, but I don't necessarily think that's natural. Right. So there were these things. There were also only eight boys in his class. and. All the boys had pretty significant behavior problems. He wasn't really making friends with any of the boys. We were in a city, so we had a very diverse group. And these kids were, they were behind. So uh, right around Christmas, the teacher sent home like a packet, I think for like Christmas vacation, not Christmas. It was, 
Thanksgiving or some sort of break they had. It was before, right before Christmas, so it must have been Thanksgiving. And she accidentally put another child's work in it, and the other child's work was like chicken scratch. And not denigrating this child at all, this child had a lot on his plate, but I did recognize that when a child is that behind, that child needs attention. And I was like, well, she's probably really giving this child a lot of attention. And we had a parent-teacher meeting, and she literally said <laughs> these words. She said, oh, I'm not worried about Pascal at all. He doesn't need my attention. And I was like, mm, doesn't he though? And so like just these little things kind of kept adding up. And then they were going to silent lunch. So you couldn't talk during lunch. And then they had the recess was getting cut and cut and cut. And their recess was gone down to like eight minutes, unless you chose not to eat your lunch, then you got like 11 minutes. So there were all these things that happened. And then there was on December 14th, the Sandy Hook happened. And it was a Friday. I don't know, maybe you guys didn't have kids at that time. It was a Friday. And I actually have a friend whose child went to the Sandy Hook Elementary School and she just started posting on Facebook, like there's gunshots at my child's school, ba 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 And then the story started to unfold. And so that day was horrendous to pick up your child at school. Like everybody was crying. And so I went to a school and where his first grade was located was like the school building with sort of an annex that stuck out, almost, you know, like a peninsula. And, you know, we all were kind of waiting at the door for the kids to come out and nobody came out. Time was going on. And of course we're panicking. And so I go to another teacher and I was like, where is Mrs. Auburn's classroom? And she said, oh, she was out today. So I don't know. And I was like, I have a six-year-old in this building. I don't know is not the proper answer. And I'm frantic. I'm kind of going all around the school. Other parents are looking for their kids. And then we can see kids coming out in like twos or threes with other kids. Like there were other main doors, you know? Finally, I see Pascal. There's two exits and meeting areas, sort of playgrounds. and was just cement. It wasn't really a playground. And he's standing there crying. He can't find me. I had always picked him up. He can't find me. I find him. I was like, where were you? He said, I had to be with a third grader classroom. And I was like, what? And, you know, as the weekend went on, he was like, wow, those third graders sure do swear a lot. And I was like, what did you do all day? And he said, I colored. And I was like, what the fuck happened? So it turns out that if a teacher's absent and there's no substitutes available, the kids get dispersed throughout the school because there's a cap on how many children can be in a classroom at a time. So him and two other students, two other first graders, went to a third grader classroom where they colored all day and listened to some pretty offensive language, <laughs> which I was pissed. I was like, at that point, shouldn't you call the parents and give them an option of coming to pick the child up? And I, I was pissed. I, I didn't have to work that day. I could have taken him to a museum or something. And he, instead of sitting there coloring all day. And I was really mad because the principal wasn't there. And the principal, I just thought on this day of all days with everything that unfolded at Sandy Hook that day, that the principal should have been there. So I was on fire. I was bullshit. I went a little crazy but I knew my emotions were high because of Sandy Hook. So I, I got on Facebook and I had a thread. I, I know so many teachers. So I, I invited like 15 teachers onto this chat. And I was like, guys, can you help me calm down? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be pissed about, but like I'm raging. And I think I'm raging because of Sandy Hook. And they were like, okay, like they really talked me down, which was very fortunate. But then one of them said, hey, have you ever thought about homeschooling? And I said, I have. In fact, I was thinking of homeschooling after first grade. And every one of these teachers said the same thing. They said, do it, just do it. You should do it. And I was like, wow, all these teachers are saying, just do it. And so I thought Pascal was the kind of kid who needed closure. So I had just always planned to at least finish out first grade. I just thought, you know, let's close out this year. You say goodbye to everybody. 
And he and I had talked about it. And luckily at this point, homeschool was represented in like Disney programs and on movies. And it wasn't considered the weird hippie antisocial thing that it was, you know, maybe in the sixties and seventies. So he knew what it was and he was like, yeah, I would like to homeschool. And I was like, all right, cool. We'll finish our first grade. And then, you know, we'll homeschool after that. And so that was December. And then there was January and it was February. And I remember, I think it was about February 15th because it was an unseasonably warm day in New England. It was super, super hot. And I knew they'd get extra recess. And so Pascal, when we would get up, we both wake up super early. He would get on his iPad. I would walk the dog. I'd come home. He'd get off his iPad and we'd play a game. We'd do his homework. We'd make breakfast, et cetera, et cetera. We, we would both get up at like 4.35. So we had plenty of time to do all the things. And so I always made him do his homework in the morning when he was fresh, not after school when he needed to play. So I take the dog out for a walk and I come home and he's just quietly, he's on his iPad, but he tears, just tears are dripping onto the iPad. I'm like, buddy, what's up? Oh my God, what happened? And he said, can... I not go, oh my God, I always cry when I get to this part. He said, can I not go to school today? Can we start homeschooling now? I said, no, no. Like at the time I had a a radio talk show where people would call in for potty training. It was a Tuesday. I had my talk show. I hadn't prepared for homeschooling. I didn't have enough maps and folders and colored pencils. And I was like, no, buddy, you can't like, no, you have to go to school. Listen, it's 66 degrees. They'll give you extra recess. And he just looks up at me with his little six-year-old eyes. And he said, I'll go if you make me, but I don't want to. So looking at his little face, I don't know what was happening for him in that moment. But I was like, no, you don't have to go. No, just stay. We'll figure this out. I'll just go right up to school and I'll tell them. And that moment, there was this bridge of trust that I literally saw being built between us with my willingness to advocate for this situation no matter what, even though I felt very unprepared. I felt like I was going to puke, in fact. (laughs) So it was really intense. And he wiped his tears and he said, thank you, mommy. I love you. And I was like, okay, cool. I went right up to the school. It was a mile away. I walked up and I was like, hey, we're not coming back. And this teacher who had like never said two words to me was like, I think this is a really good decision. I don't know what's happening. We were one of the first schools to get Common Core. So it was new. It was weird. It was alienating to parents. It was a new kind of math. And she said, I don't know what's going on, but I'm a first grade teacher. Kindergarten is not mandatory in Rhode Island. So she'll get students who haven't even been to kindergarten. And she would say, you know, like when you have first graders, you need picture books, you need starter books, you need chapter books. There are kids reading chapter books. You need a wide range of books. And she said, administrative came in and took out all the books. And do you see the the bookshelves? I have one book. I have one book that's supposed to cover all children's interests and skill levels. And I was like, whoa. So she was like, I just think this is a really good decision. I went to the principal. I said, we're not coming back. She said, okay, I think that's a really good decision. And I was like, what is going on that like everybody is saying this is a good decision, people that you wouldn't think. So that's how we started to homeschool. And it was terrifying. I had lightly been researching it and like interviewing kids. I, I really wanted to see the end product. <laughs> like, I was like, this is good. And you, t- you know, people were talking a good game online, but I was like, what? I want to talk to the teenagers. And so I did spend a fair amount of time going and like interviewing families, like what, you know, what's your experience? How do you do this? And I was mostly amazed by the teenagers. And when people tell you like, oh, homeschoolers are weird, they can be weird compared to kids in school because I found all the teenagers that I interacted with to be super engaged. They knew current events and they were 
super engaged with me. And I know this, my, at the time, my niece and nephew were in school and they were down to monosyllabic grunts. Like they were obsessed with their phones. You know, phones were pretty new back then. And they really made eye contact. They weren't super engaged. And I know that's a generalization. It's not all teenagers, but the homeschooling teenagers that I met just weren't like moody or, or I don't know. They, they were weird in that they were like effervescent, you know? <laughs> and so I took on homeschooling and that's, that's when we started to homeschool. I did, you know, go out and buy a bunch of workbooks and, you know, maps and colored pencils and folders. I quickly found out that Pascal, whatever was going on with him biting his lip was an anxiety and it was an anxiety about being wrong. I had to very quickly throw out all red pens and markers. He just, there was something about, I don't know what his soul life is. And I don't know if you believe in past lives, but he came into the world with an abnormal amount of like shame already. I always have had to be careful in my reprimanding him because a simple reprimand would be crushing for him. Whereas, you know, for most kids, it wouldn't be. And so we really worked on perfectionistic learning. And I quickly found out he loved worksheets at school. He loved accolades. He liked the gold star. He liked being the best. But again, it cost his mental health and quickly found out that once out of that paradigm, he was like, oh, hell no, I'm not doing this. So there was some, it took us a year, I'd say, to find our legs. And we really eventually settled on unschooling, which is just a super rich way to homeschool. And it's using no formal curriculum. He uses formal curriculum now. Now he's in high school. He'll be a senior next year and he's taking classes at the local community college. But during his elementary and middle school, we didn't do anything formal. So that's unschooling. If you, I don't want to spend too much time because I do want to answer people's questions, but unschooling, I do have an episode. I do believe it's either episode 21 or 28. If you want to go back and listen to that, or you can Google it. It's a very, really interesting way to homeschool and it's very lifestyle focused not curriculum focused. So with that, I do want to jump into these questions. So that's how long Pascal has been homeschooled since the middle of first grade. Lots of questions about curriculum. So again, we never used one. There are many curriculums available online, thousands. The one thing I would say about curriculum, if you really feel like you need a curriculum, there's ones that come like all in one. It's got all your things. And those are lovely, but I always find that there's some component that a child doesn't like. So I wouldn't necessarily go for those. Those tend to be very pricey. You can really get away with just workbooks, you know, or math, or science, English, whatever it is you, you'd like. I would say for elementary school, you know, it's totally up to you, but I don't feel like one is necessary. I really don't. I think the basics can be taught really through living and life and cooking. And, you know, your child can help add up your bills. Your child can help write grocery lists. You know, I used to give Pascal $20 and he could buy whatever he wanted at the market, but he had to handle the whole interaction himself. So if he overspent or miscalculated, he had to put things back. There's a lot of ways to teach the basics in math and history. I feel like is, I don't know, I'm such a history buff that we would just do so many things. And in fact, one time he came to me and he said, you know, I just feel like we're not doing enough history. And I was like, dude, are you kidding me? So we got a piece of butcher paper and I made a huge timeline going back to prehistoric days. And we went through all the, you know, Jurassic crustaceans. <laughs> uh, we went through all the dinosaur periods. We went through Cro-Magnon and Neanderthal and, you know, Homo sapiens. And then we went into all these rabbit holes that he had gone down. So I'm sure your child has been obsessed with King Tut or medieval times or the Titanic sinking or 
you know, these periods in history. And I let Pascal go down these rabbit holes and then I plugged them into the timeline. So it wasn't a continuous, congruent timeline, but it was once we plugged everything in and he could see how much history we had actually done, he was like, oh my God, we've done a ton of history. So there's all kinds of ways to hit it. So that's again, what I did. If you guys have any questions specifically about unschooling, I'm happy to answer it. But I think with curriculum, it's really finding what works for your child. Because every kid, when you do start to homeschool, you'll realize like, oh my God, when they hit an interest, they will be self-directed. They will be, I mean, what is your kid into? Are they into Star Wars? Are they into dinosaurs? Are they into Pokemon? Are they into Minecraft? Are they into baseball? Like, listen to them rattle off facts and figures and statistics and numbers and names and history. It's unbelievable. And so it's really fun to let them run with that, especially as they're younger, because I think a lot of the formal academics that start in elementary school are really soul crushing. And they start to make a child think that learning is this thing I do at school and I don't want to do that at home. And so I think it's just so valuable to let your kid like have like run wild with their interests and then you'll find places to kind of plug that in. All right. So that's all I'll say about curriculum. Again, there's so much online. And that's one of the biggest things about homeschooling, why I think homeschooling has taken off. The internet changed everything. It used to be that the gatekeepers of information were teachers and scholars. And now we have the internet and we can look up things. And Jesus, now we have chat GPT. We can like learn so much. We can pull up summaries of books. It's just amazing. Like the amount of information that is available to us. And I don't know if you know this, but all the major colleges have their curriculums online. You can go take classes at MIT online. You know, you're not enrolled in college, so you don't get the degree, but you can learn anything you want. And so it's really been a game changer for homeschooling. All right. The next big question is how do you work and homeschool? And there were so many different variations on this question. So like we both work full time. I'm a single mom who works full time you know, what do you do? How do we do it? How can we manage it? So I don't know your situation and I certainly can't fix your situation, but I will tell you a couple of things that I know and some things that may be helpful. So one of the things is, again, especially in the younger years in elementary school and even some middle school, one thing you have to realize is that the actual academic portion of school only takes like an an elementary school, like a half hour, 45 minutes, hour tops. The rest of a school day is often crowd control. And that is, you know, if you think about a classroom of kids, 24 kids, be quiet, line up, everybody put your caps on the markers. Nope, I need to hear the click. Nope, we need to collect the markers. Okay, the green marker is missing, right? There's like a lot of things about the crowd. And then very often there's like, you got to play to the lowest common denominator, right? Because you want to make sure everybody understands it. So if we keep need to repeat because one child's not understanding it, then a child who got it might sit there and start being bored, right? So there's less academic time than you would ever imagine. And it doesn't have to happen. We're so, we're so used to school. I I use the word indoctrinated because there's, there is some indoctrination that goes along with school. We think that it has to happen during those hours. And so it doesn't, it can happen at night. Some of the most amazing conversations in homeschooling has happened in the car. Every homeschooler will tell you that. It's like the biggest conversations happen when you're driving and you're like, oh my God, I think it's because they know you can't look them in the eye or something. So can the day be managed in that sense? Unfortunately, a reality, especially here in America, because of our, and I hate this, I hate this for you, I hate this for families, but we've been set up where 
we need school for childcare. When it comes to brass tacks, a lot of times it's like, I know I could do a better job educating my kid, but I need it for childcare. And I just think that is the saddest state that we could have as a country. So I do know that many, many homeschool families I know make humongous sacrifices. I know a family of six who scaled down to a 600 square foot open, it was like an artist studio, and they scaled back all their belongings. They do have a good size yard, so that helps. And they have never been happier. I've known this family for years. They lived in a big house. And now that they live in this tiny artist studio, kind of open air, (laughs) like open concept, and they've never been happier. And they did that so that the wife could stop working. It's criminal too, because you know this. I don't know if it's necessarily women now, but in a two household income, one of those incomes goes almost directly to childcare. There's like 10% left after childcare. So it's a, a rock and a hard place. So that is something that I have seen a lot of homeschooling families do. And they sacrifice, they drive, you know, very old used cars. They don't necessarily go on vacations the way a lot of people do. You know, they go thrifting for clothes. So there are sacrifices that can be made. If you're a single mom, there are opportunities online. When I first started homeschooling, I definitely like, oh crap, hadn't been bought by Simon and Schuster. You know, I was hustling online. It was barely paying the bills, but it was paying the bills. And so I could work from home. And then once I recognized the beauty of homeschooling, I was willing to do anything. I would have done like phone sex or whatever, (laughs) because I was like, no, this is really working for my little family. So I think that's part of the thing too, is that it's hard to make the sacrifices, not knowing what's on the other side, but it can be so beautiful that once you do it, I think a lot of people are willing to make those sacrifices. And if it's just a season in your life where you can't make those sacrifices, I think that's okay too. I think it's really important to recognize that we all homeschool. It's just some people do it full time and some people do it half, you know, part time. If you're listening to this, if you're part of my audience, I can guarantee, you know, your kid doesn't get home from school and you don't sit them in front of the television while you go smoke a cigarette outside and have a glass of wine. I can guarantee that doesn't, it might happen for five minutes, maybe, but I can guarantee that you guys are concerned about enrichment, that your child's in activities, that they're in sports, you know, that you're doing these things. You don't just let your child be idle. You are teaching them at all times. It's just that, you know, they're in school for those hours of the day. So yeah, you know, if it's not doable, there's all kinds of, you know, side hustles online and there are co-ops. There are a lot of parents who trade childcare services. There are parents who, you know, get a little co-op going so that you don't have to be with your child all the time. So I would say that I would say discern, is it really that you want to homeschool and childcare is the issue? And can that problem be solved? And it may not be able to be solved, in which case maybe down the road, homeschooling is for you, or maybe you do some extracurricular things that are like homeschoolish. <laughs> I do remember like doing so much with Pascal that I was like, damn, school is getting in the way of his education. It just, there were so many exciting things in the world. <laughs> okay. Next question was some variation on, I am horrible at math and science. I can't do this. What happens when they age out of your knowledge? What happens in high school? What happens if you have a, you know, a math freak who you don't know how to handle the math? So that happened to us. I would say I'm pretty good up to about fourth grade math. So that happened to us rather quickly. Pascal is mathematically inclined, figures things out in his head, is always right. So I have never, it's always like, I can't even tell him to prove his work because he's always right. 
So I don't consider myself Pascal's teacher. I consider myself a facilitator. And I know that you are a facilitator for your child. Now, I've, I've used this example in the past. If your child really loves animals, watches Doc McStuffins, wants to be a vet four years old, you've probably gone out of your way to go meet with a zookeeper or maybe meet with a vet or expose that child to YouTube videos of vets or, you know, you've fed that interest. And so that's a facilitator. So I'm not necessarily teaching him things. I'm finding him the resources that he can either teach himself or be taught by somebody who knows. And so we've had some exciting things you know, for example, he was very into death at some point. I've, I've said that before on this podcast. So I got him to meet with a funeral director and an embalmer so they could talk about what happens after somebody dies. I had him meet with different religious like priests and rabbis just to talk about, you know, what happens when people die in their faith and what, what did they think happens to the soul and how do they handle burial and that kind of thing or cremation. I found a paleontologist that he could talk to when he was really into dinosaurs. We have met with butchers. We went to the bank. So he was in second grade and he wanted to write checks for his employees, of which he had none. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I had some employees, but he wanted to write checks. So I said, just casually, I was like, we can't write a check till you have a signature. He said, what's a signature? I said, well, that's cursive writing. He said, show me. He learned cursive in like three days because he was highly motivated to get his signature down. So then I said, all right, well, we'll go to the bank. You have to talk to the teller. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> doing it. So he sat down, he wore a tie. He goes and sits down with the teller and he's like, I want this and I want this. I want the card that goes in the machine. And so they got him, you know, of course I had to sign everything, be on the accounts, but then they said, oh, do you want to see the vaults where the money's kept? And he's like, yeah. So I got up to go with him. And they were like, Oh, sorry, we just do this for kids. And so, <laughs> so he got to see all the vaults. And so there's all these opportunities when you meet people who have knowledge that you don't have. And so that's how I look at it is that I'm a facilitator. I am catching on when you start homeschooling, you start listening to your child with different ears. And so you definitely perk up. And I've told the Jurassic Park series story, I think, like I said, in episode 21 or 28, I can't remember, but like I knew something was happening. You kind of lock into like, oh wait, we're going somewhere with this. I can see this is leading somewhere. I don't know where yet. And then you sort of put the opportunities in front of the child that help them learn more. If you do feel, you know, I do think math and English, I think writing an essay, you know, I would say good spelling and grammar, although that's largely going by the wayside because we write in such an informal fashion now. And even as an author, like if you do get a book deal, there, you have like 12 editors working on your book. We have spell check. You know, I don't know that some of these things are as important. Even now with chat GPT, it's like rearranging the face of what does education mean? What is educated mean? If we can get all the answers to everything, you know, by AI, then what are we looking for? We're looking for critical thinking, right? And we're looking for adaptability and flexibility. I think these soft social skills are going to come into much more prominence because we have so much information available to us at our fingertips. And people would say, well, what if, you know, like in my day, they used to say, you're not going to have a calculator in your pocket. And it's like, well, yeah, we do now. <laughs> we not only have a calculator in our pocket, we have AI in our pocket, right? With our phones. And so it becomes in an interview, if you can look everything up online, then what becomes your edge to get a job? And I do think that sometimes people will say, you know, like, well, what if there's a, you know, 
a cataclysmic event in which you don't have a calculator. And it's like, dude, if we're in a cataclysmic event, like you should really know how to butcher an animal. Like I'm not going to need your, your algebraic formula. (laughs) I'm not, maybe somebody will. (laughs) Okay. Monarch Legacy of Monsters, an Apple original series. The world is on fire. I decided to do something about it. On November 17th. This place, it's not ours. Believe me. The most massive event of the year arrives. If you come with me, you'll know everything, I promise. Oh my God, go, go, go! Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Streaming November 17th, only on Apple TV+. What about socialization? So that's another huge, huge question. How did they meet other people? What do you do? Weren't you worried about him? And so this is an antiquated question. And if your child's going to school and that's the best thing for your family, I get it. I totally get it. And I'm not trying to slam schools, but sometimes you feel like you get attacked as a homeschooler and you got to be like, hey. (laughs) So, So one thing I want to point out is that socialization is an odd question because children in school don't get socialization. In fact, a large amount of teachers say we're not here to socialize, right? So there's a lot of rules in school, a lot of being quiet. A lot of schools have silent lunches. Recesses are limited. So there isn't a lot of socialization. There may be some group projects, but they're not child-led. They're very much adult-led with rules. And there's a real set pattern to them. The biggest thing with with schools is you're grouped in most schools. I know some schools have like a large age differential in one classroom, but for the most part, schools are grouped by age and neighborhood. And so it's a really odd thing because when in life, like look around your circle of friends, how many of you are almost exactly the same age and live near each other? Not a lot. I don't actually know that I have any friends that are exactly my age. I mean, maybe like on mine and maybe from high school, you know, I don't have a lot of friends from high school because high school was miserable and I didn't choose to keep in touch with a lot of people. But, you know, it's really hard because any human at any given time, you know a lot about something. You're going to be advanced. Any kid, if you take any kid, they might excel at math and suck at reading. They might love history and hate art and drawing and phys ed. You know, there's like all, all these differentials. And so to be classified by age, and neighborhood just seems so stifling. And very often you do meet a best friend in your classroom, but it's not because that's the person you would resonate most in a larger scope of life. It's just the person you resonate with the most in that setting, right? And so socialization, and especially these days, I mean, there's a lot of shit going down in a lot of schools. And I would say almost like I'd be afraid of the socialization in school. I often hear this too, like, this is my favorite. They need to go to school so they can learn how to deal with bullies. No, they don't need to go to school to learn how to deal with bullies. Bullies are secretive in school. Bullies corner you in school and there's no place to run. You as an adult, think of any bully you run into. If I run into a bully in a parking lot, a bully on the road, a bully, like even I don't work with other people, but I hear about people like in the workspace. You can go to HR. You as an adult can be, fuck off. You're being rude. Don't talk to me that way. I won't put up with this. Your six-year-old doesn't know how to do that. Your six-year-old may be being bullied and not even tell you because they're so ashamed. We have kids committing suicide because they're bullied. So I would argue that they're not learning how to deal with bullies. They're learning how to just be bullied and how to take it. And I know we have this like zero tolerance policy for bullying, but that's not true. So sorry, I got a little heated there. I hate that. I don't think we have to be hard on our kids because the world is hard. I think we need to be 
there for our children because the world is hard. And we need to teach them love and compassion because the world is hard, not toughen them up. I don't think that helps anybody. I do think kids need grit and resilience, but that's not the same thing. (laughs) So anyway, socialization happens. One thing you would recognize when you start homeschooling is when you're out and about during, you go to the playground, when you're the hours that most kids are in school, you realize there are other kids there. Those are the homeschoolers. You start getting friendly. Almost every community has a homeschool group. So here in Rhode Island, we have several. We have a secular, we have a religious, we have, by religious, I mean Christian. And, and then we have many, many co-op opportunities. And then there's a couple, like a lot of online groups. So there's so many meetups. Again, this is a different animal with the internet, with groups on Facebook or meetups or chats, Reddit threads. There's just so much opportunity to be with other kids that it's just never been an issue. You know, finding your, finding your people, you can go through quite a few circles before you find your people. But yeah, definitely. And if I were starting homeschooling, well, when I did start homeschooling, I really took part in a lot of groups just because also moms need socialization. So I think it's really important that moms get help and their needs met because gosh, the first couple of years, you're just going to doubt yourself. Like every eight weeks or so I'd freak out. I'd cry. Am I doing enough? Am I doing this right? You know, it feels like a really big experiment. Like, what if I fuck up my kids? What if I fuck up their education? But you won't. You won't. If you're crying because you're afraid you're going to fuck up your kid's education, you're not going (laughs) to. You're going to find the source. You're going to find the resources. You're going to be online. You'll find the workbook, the curriculum, the tutor, the teacher, the neighbor. You'll find a way. And there are people all over. And one of the things I love about this is, and this is what I say about Pascal. I think that this is why he's not a moody teenager. I think there is an authority barrier. So when we think of what teenagers go through, they go through very much what a three-year-old goes through, which is why we call them three-nagers. It's that process of individuation. They have to separate from you to become their own person. And I think what happens in the teenagers while this is happening, they're under a lot of pressure. They're under the pressure in high school, you guys, these days, it's really disheartening. Teen suicide is up by 60% and people want to blame social media but I can witness firsthand the pressure that parents throw down their children's throat about academics, getting into college, paying for it. And you've got to do what I tell you. Pascal will go with his friends and he comes home and he's, he calls it secondary stress, like secondhand smoking. I'm getting secondhand stress, mom. Everybody's so stressed out. And so I don't even remember why I went off on this tangent. <laughs> oh, individuation with teens. And so there's this authority barrier. There is somebody always in their life, like telling them what to do, how to do it, when to do it. And it's really hard to individuate when you're under that scrutiny. And I feel like that's why they get so moody. But Pascal has always been able to reach out. So we find people like I have a friend who loves bugs, knows everything about bugs. Anytime we find a bug, take a picture, send it to Amanda. Call Amanda. I don't know the answer to that. Call Amanda. Amanda, I have a question. Amanda's 40 years old. He has no problem calling a 40-year-old and asking her questions. So there's that no authority barrier Everybody's an authority based on what they know. And so everybody is an ally and he sees the world as his ally. And what I see in a lot of teenagers is that grownups are not an ally. No grownup. It's everybody's up my ass. And so there's this wall that goes up. That's been like one of the really beautiful things too about like mixed ages and being a facilitator and finding the people that know things that you don't know. You don't have to know everything. You don't even have to look everything up. If, if you know somebody in your world, if, Grandma can help you cook. Maybe your neighbor can help learn gardening. Maybe another neighbor knows how to fix the lawnmower. You know, there's people. There's lots of people if you're willing to reach out. 
Okay. So I'm going to read some questions directly off of Instagram. This one was, do you anticipate your son having problems applying to college, i.e. wanting standardized testing results, grades, et cetera? Also, the thought of upper level high school math gives me hives. <laughs> and so I just talked about math a bit. Getting into college for a homeschooler is usually a different process and it's more essay and more life skills. You can make a, a high school transcript. There's many services that do a high school transcript where you can parlay. Did you do any textbooks, any curriculums? Did you do life skills? So for example, Pascal wants to be a game warden with the Department of, of Environmental Management. And so for the last three years, he has worked every volunteer opportunity that the DEM offers. He knows everybody there by name. He's worked with world-class biologists. And so he's built up a really impressive portfolio. So that will count for environmental science classes. That will count as life skills. So now in college, there are opportunities to get credit for your life skills. Yeah, so it's it's a different process. I will say that most colleges do actively seek out homeschoolers because they're not burnt on learning. A friend of mine said, he, oh yeah, I can spot a homeschooler a mile away. And I was like, oh, why are they weirdos? And he was like, he said, no, they're just like super interested in learning. They just haven't been in that classroom. They're not burnt out and tired. They're like, they want to sit in the front row. They want to raise their hand. They want to, they're like, holy shit, I get like, I get to talk to somebody who's an expert in this thing that I love. And so that does happen. A little bit more on curriculum. Somebody had asked, do I use a state curriculum? And that they were using a state curriculum and they weren't impressed. So one thing you need to know when you homeschool, every state has their own requirements. So it just depends. You have to look at that. And what I would do is not call the school department. I would try to reach out to a homeschool group. School departments often are misinformed or they sort of have a party agenda. They like will tell you wrong things and ask for too much. So just depending on your state, and I do not know all the state's rules. I do know Rhode Island, we have to submit a letter of intent, which in which we promise to cover these subjects. And then we send an end of year report simply stating we, you know, schooled for X amount of hours that meet the state requirements and that we completed our year sufficiently. So we don't have testing. We don't have standardized testing. Pascal's never took a test. Apparently in first grade, they were testing via iPads for Common Core. This was like a, a kind of first run of Common Core. And so they weren't writing anything down, but all the kids knew they were being tested, which again, I think contributed to his anxiety. The first test he took was his hunter safety exam and he got a 94. The second test he took was his bow hunting license and that he got a 92. His driver test, he scored 99 out of 100. So yeah, so he can take tests. He can comprehend, you know. When you homeschool, in most states, you have the right to the curriculum and to borrow textbooks if that's what you want to do. You also, depending on your state or your school district, oftentimes you can go and take a class. So like if you wanted your child to take a science or if it's a lab class or if you wanted them to take an art class or a phys ed, you can often go in and out. And again, that just depends on the school district. Homeschoolers pay taxes. They pay school taxes. And a lot of people buck up against that. And I don't. Number one, I don't want you in my business. If I don't have to pay the tax, I would be worried about state interference. I don't want parenting legislated. I don't want homeschooling legislated. So you have rights to certain things like people say, oh, I want, you know, the school's Chromebook. I would not take a government issue Chromebook into my house, but that's up to you. <laughs> but you do have some rights within the system. And so use those. And that comes up often too with special needs. If you have a child who needs services, you can homeschool and get those services. 
So don't let anybody bully you. You might have to fight for it, but you pay your taxes. So you have the right. The school system works for you. They will make it seem like, you know, you should bow to their wishes, but they're your employee. You pay their salaries. So use it as you need to use it. And sometimes that means getting the state curriculum in the textbooks. I personally wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that because I did not want to create school at home. I had no desire to sit there with my kid at a table, you know, for four hours yelling at him or trying to make him do something that he didn't want to do. I was far more interested in living life and learning through living life. So that's what I would say. I would also say that if it's really, really hard, I've come across this a lot, like people who are unsure about homeschooling. So they're like, okay, we're going to try it for a year. I think that's a really hard thing. And I know it's hard to jump in and say, oh, we're going to homeschool forever without knowing what you're going to do. But I also think it's really, really hard to say, we're going to try it for a year. They're going to go back to school in sixth grade because then you have to stay by, you have to learn in the order that the school learns so that your child can go back into class with everybody else. The wild thing, if you think about it, another little tangent, school is the experiment. Everybody looks and says like, at this stage in society, it's all we've known. So we're like, of course you go to school. School is only like 120 years old. It's the compulsory schooling was not always the case. And we took the Prussian model, which arguably was to get factory workers. The reason why every 50 minutes a bell goes off was to train factory workers to have good model citizens and, and not like hellions and also to try to decrease child labor. So that is the experiment. For eons, nobody went to school. All the great men in our history and great women didn't go to school. They, and they learned. So it's weird because we don't think about that. You know, we just think this is the way to do it. This is the only way to do it. How will they ever learn? They'll learn. Trust me. <laughs> Okay. I love this. So this mama said, I considered homeschooling. My kiddo is three, but I see how she learns when we're outside. She saw a bee. And so we spent the day talking and learning about bees. It went so much better than when I've tried to sit her down and force her to try and trace the alphabet. I do feel I'll be equipped to teach in a structured way. I'm not sure I even have a question as much as I have my own concerns about being capable to teach and socialize my child the way sending her to school would. So, I mean, we did talk about socialization. However, what she just described was unschooling. You see a bee, all of a sudden, why do bees land on flowers? Boom, there's your biology pollinators. And, you know, you can just go down these rabbit holes with one simple question. All your job is to do is notice, geez, look at her looking at that bee. Hey, did you know what that bee is doing? Boom, you have a lesson for the day. So I just love that because, yeah, you're capable. You're totally capable. Okay, (laughs) I like this question. I'm really thinking about homeschooling my son. He's three, but he so badly wants to go to school and ride the bus. Currently trying to find a homeschool pod co-op in Nashville and I'm feeling defeated. Okay. If your child has an idea of school, that can be replicated. So like you don't have to go to school just because he wants to ride the bus. Like y'all could ride the city bus. You can go find a bus experience for him. When it's really funny because when you when you take a child out of school, and I saw enough of this throughout the years, you know, you might hear a child say like, oh, I miss school or, oh, I miss this. And, you know, I would say to Pascal, like, is there anything you miss about school? And he's like, yeah, recess. And I was like, fuck off, dude. We get recess every day. <laughs> or he'd be like, lunch. And I was like, it was silent lunch. You want me to pack you a lunchbox? <laughs> so I don't know. Not too many kids say they miss like sitting at a desk all day. <laughs> 
Is homeschooling for you if you find it hard being with your kid all day? Just got to be honest. I think about it and then question how I would survive. Okay, so this is hard. Like if you're thinking about homeschooling and you have like a two or a three-year-old, like, yeah, it's maddening. They're needy. They're so needy at this age. I think two, three, and four are just, I know everybody tells you it's hard, but I really think toddlerhood is the hardest part. They're needy. They can't do things by themselves. They're so new to the planet. They're so volatile. They're so explosive. I just saw a funny, funny video on Instagram. The woman's like, yeah, they're like two, but with experience. (laughs) Three-year-olds are hard. And so if you have kids, if you have a bunch of kids, you know, this came up too. Like I have four kids under the age of five. Yeah. You're barely keeping your head above water. That's not what it's going to look like when they're older. So, you know, it's okay to send your kid to preschool, send them to kindergarten and then take them out for first grade. Being with your kid all day for sure is one of the harder parts. If your child's a little bit older and you're considering homeschooling and you're like, I don't know, we fight all day. 99% of your fights, I can almost guarantee are leaving the house for school on time, getting home and not being grumpy, getting all your homework done, doing all you need to do before you get on technology. I can almost guarantee that's the range of fights. So when you take school out of the equation, the getting ready, the getting home, the homework, the stress of like trying to complete chores in the time you get home to the time they go to bed, that gets spread out throughout the day. So almost all those fights are gone. I would say that a large portion of homeschooling is learning how to be with your kid, how to like being with your kid, how to spend the day together in peace. And a lot of that is learning how to be self-directed and practicing and taking your time as a mom or a dad and saying, you have to do these things on your own. Pascal and I have always figured that out just because it was us too. There was never a break. So it was like, dude, you can't be on me all day like white on rice. I got him set up very quickly to like play independently some of the time because I, like, I can't, I can't be on a hundred percent and I have to work. You know, I work from home, but I still work. <laughs> and so I think which even makes it worse, right? Cause then you're doing everything from home. But yeah, I do. I think that's a serious question. And so I would, I would look honestly, like, is it just an age? Is it the age they're at? Are they particularly needy right now? Cause they won't always be that way. You know, is it fights about school? Is it fights about getting out of the house on time? Is that the deal? And then is there, I think this is really poignant and I think it's something we don't talk about enough. Do you not like your kid and why? Because I think that's a really worthwhile investigation. And so a lot of times people will say that like, I don't like my kid. I need them to go to school. So they're not near me because I'll be mean to them. And this happens, but I think that's kind of heartbreaking. But I also think like, like all things that we talk about, then when you put it out in the light, it's something we have to discuss. And if you don't like your kid, we have to figure out why, because you do want to like your kid. It's not your job to be their friend and it's not your job for them to like you. But if there's something about your child that you don't like, then maybe that's something we need to look at. If it's deep seated, that might require therapy, but maybe you don't like them because maybe you haven't been holding a boundary and they're being little jerks. And you're like, why are they such a jerk? But they're being a jerk because you're letting them be a jerk to you. So sometimes I do think it takes some investigation if you really aren't enjoying your kids. And not that motherhood has to be always enjoyable, but I think at a core, we shouldn't want to escape our children. Definitely daily. There are moments where we do, where we have to go to the bathroom and hide, where we get touched out. But I'm talking about a wider thing. Like, I cannot bear to be with this child every day. 
I think that's worth investigating. And I know, I know it's meant to be funny, but it does kind of break my heart. Like, oh my God, my kids are going to be home all summer. Like, I think we should, this is a hard statement, right? Because it's not all love and rainbows and unicorn farts, right? Like every day there's some aggravation where you're like, oh, I'm going to grow this kid, right? But also I think at its core, we should enjoy our children for the most part. Okay, last question. My daughter is six and beyond defiant if we do anything at all that's about reading. She isn't reading yet, and this is the end of her kindergarten year. At the opposite end of the spectrum, she's doing two-digit multiplication problems in her head, not on paper, and can identify so many plants and trees I can't keep up. Not sure if that's my issue or extended family society issue that she doesn't want to read, so I feel like a failure. It's unclear to me whether this mom is homeschooling, but if you're homeschooling, I think you're doing great. So one of the tragedies about reading, God, there's so many studies about this. It's so irritating to me. Kindergartners really shouldn't be reading. It's really developmentally not appropriate. If they pick it up, there are kids who pick up books at four and start reading. There are some kids, they literally pick up a book and they get it. There are other kids that really struggle, 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 struggle. There are convergence issues. That's when like, if you think of like an A, when it points together at the top, sometimes as our eyes develop, those will be floating. They won't connect. And so that's convergence issues. There can be so many learning disorders. There can be delays. But reading, it used to be that everybody knew by third grade, it all came out in the wash, no matter where your kid was. We didn't have this like marker system. We didn't have this like, by this age, every child needs to be doing this. And we're doing that with reading and we're squashing the love of reading. There are so many people who tell me I was an avid reader till I hit middle school and I had a list and they made me read and I had to read fast. And then boom, throughout all reading, talk to a large amount of men. They became readers, like maybe in college or after college, because school destroyed the love of reading because keeping up and reading faster and do this and summer reading lists. So I had done so much research. Reading doesn't happen for every kid at the same age. And it's not at all. It used to not be that uncommon, especially with boys, especially boys where either you suspect ADHD or you just got a rambunctious kid. They're doers. They're not readers. And so you know, reading should like level off by the time they're 11. Now you don't have time when you're in school, you've got to stay on the time treadmill, right? But with homeschooling, you kind of have that luxury. So if your daughter's doing, you know, two digit multiplication and identifying plants, there's so much you could be learning about that and incorporating reading. One of another tragedy of school is that we have segregated subjects. When you're learning history, why couldn't you be learning English? You know, I think grammar could be just part of every subject. You know what I mean? And again, the Jurassic Park story that I told in in episode 21 or 28, there's so many ways we can incorporate all the subjects that to segregate them and make them really dry and boring when they could be all of one. And when we look back at the great Renaissance men, when we look at da Vinci, da Vinci was, Leonardo da Vinci was an artist. He was a poet. He was an engineer. He was a scientist. He was all these things. We didn't box him in and be like, oh, you're an engineer. There's no way you can write poetry, you know? So there's this smudging of things. I would let a six-year-old who can do math like that, she could get into MIT. I tell that story. I was the, the guy I was engaged to, I don't know, six years ago, he did not know how to read. He had a very abusive childhood, never learned how to read, was such an engineering genius that he got invited to MIT goes to MIT on full scholarship, never applied, invited, and they find out he can't read. 
So like, (laughs) but there's an example because he was so neglected. He just took off with his engineering skills, never learned to read. So I wouldn't worry about reading at six years old if you're homeschooling. Once you're in school, you got to keep up. You're in that paradigm. You're in that matrix. You have to keep up. Otherwise, your child gets labeled and they're going to have a hard time. So that's one of the things that I really don't like about school. I love I love being able to take your time with these subjects. And Pascal just wasn't a reader. I'm a fanatical reader. I go through so many books. And we read all the time. And he just hated reading. And it wasn't till last year he started picking up books. He found a genre. He loves historical fiction. And he likes inspirational stories of like, you know, men who have gone through pretty tragic circumstances and come out on top. And now he reads like wildfire. So I just think we get so caught up in these, oh my God, they're behind, they're behind, they're behind that we don't see the forest for the trees, right? And so again, your daughter's doing great. These are such beautiful things. Like, you know, maybe you could get some herb books and she could start doing some like infusions where she's, you know, combining plants and doing some math that way. So there's really exciting opportunities. All right. Sorry, you guys. I didn't mean to make this so long. I love this subject. I love telling our story and I love sharing my passion for this. And again, I know it's not for everybody. And if it feels daunting, but doable, you know, please reach out. If it feels like I just can't, like I have to work, I'll never have time. I'll be stressed out. Listen, a happy parent is the best parent. So if just the thought of this like completely stresses you out such that you would be short and angry all the time. Don't do it. It's okay. You know, school is part of our culture and everybody, you know, you do your best. You do your best when you're with your child at home and many, many kids do fine in school. Many don't, but I think it's not worth being completely a mess about like, (laughs) you know, and if you really want to do it, I do think there's all kinds of creative ways to think about it and it can be done. Again, like I said, it almost takes the beauty of doing it before you can like realize like, shit, I'd be willing to sacrifice anything to do this. And then for some families too, know this. Again, the school system works for you. So you can take your child out of school and you can do it. And if it doesn't work, you can put your child back in school and it's okay. And so don't feel like this is a do or die decision. It's written in stone. You can't go back. Yes, you can. So... Yeah, I think I answered everybody's question. So rock on. As always, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate you listening. And I hope you have an awesome day. Okay, bye everyone. Just a reminder, if you need additional resources, I have Oh Crap Potty Training. I have Oh Crap, I Have a Toddler. Those books are available everywhere you want to find a book. (laughs) You can also go to my website, jamieglowacki.com, where you can book private sessions with me by any of my courses. Those are really geared towards potty training help. And also I'm on Instagram. I'm not on Facebook anymore and I'm not on Twitter. I'm on Instagram, jamie.glowacki, and I do a lot of lives and uh, usually posting a lot of good information. So those are extra resources for you. And as always, rock on. Have an awesome day.